Remember, as you're enjoying this fabulous podcast of the radio show, you can also get the Armstrong and Getty One More Thing podcast and Armstrong and Getty Extra Large, our long-form interviews, available via the iTunes podcast app and the iHeart app. The State of the Union is a uh, pointless exercise. Nobody remembers them after they're given. They're discussed for a day by the uh, intelligentsia crowd, the, the chattering classes, and then and then nothing is remembered for them. They're, there's nothing to them. It's an exercise in uh, royal families or something. Mm. Unless, <laughs> unless this is the year that all decorum uh, is shed. Somebody yells something at the president. He goes off script, and it becomes a... Uh, a parliament like melee, which I'm kind of rooting for. You know, there are a handful of angry progressive women in particular. There are a couple of Muslim gals who say all sorts of crazy stuff by my standards who may not sit on their hands tonight. Well, how about the one who yelled uh, impeach the MFR? Right. Is she going to go for decorum because Nancy says so? And I'm, and I'm not so sure. And I'm not so sure if I was an advisor to one of these people that I wouldn't say Look, you're going to get killed for this by a lot of the media. But you will become a household name. You'll raise millions of dollars within 24 hours. Right. Uncork. Uncork. Say something. Yell at the president. Run down the aisle and start wagging your finger at him. Can you imagine? That'd be the last so, too, for a long time, which would be a good thing, probably. (laughs) So, um, you got this governor of Virginia... Who is either the guy in blackface or the guy in the Klan robe, I think. Pretty sure it's blackface. The trousers match. Found a picture of him in those plaid trousers in a different pose that the blackface guy is wearing. Don't you think he's one of the two? Or he he wouldn't have gone with the initial more or less admission that he's one of the two. I yeah, mean, I think it's just he, you've never been in that sort of situation at all. You'd be like, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, not only that, but he looked at the picture and he thought, wow, that blackface makeup is so thick, you can't tell who that is. I'm, uh, somebody said, you can't tell that's you. I know you, and I can't tell it's you. Deny it's you. So the next day he thought, yeah, yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll deny it. And he changed his story. And then I'll moonwalk a little. No, I'll dazzle-dazzle him with my moonwalking. Right, somebody get me the sparkly glove. But the question does exist. Of whether or not um, uh, something like that from 35 years ago disqualifies you from public service. It's the death penalty for your political career. There's nobody indicating any instance of him being a racist on either side of the aisle. Nope, never. So um, this guy was on Tucker Carlson last night. I've done a little research on him. Uh, Zaid Jelani is his name. He's a journalist, and he's worked for Think Progress and United Republic and Progressive Change. He's a liberal. Uh, yeah, he's quite the progressive, and um, he had written a piece that Tucker Carlson was interested in, and they, they opened the interview by saying, we don't agree on anything, you and I, um, but they agreed on this, um, the way we treat people who have these instances from their past. This is uh, kind of long, but it's pretty interesting. This man in Texas actually knifed another man to death. He killed a man. And a number that's of uh, left-wingers said it's great. That- that's not where we were starting. After getting out, and this was, and I'm not arguing against it, but approved of by the left as an example of redemption. Yeah, I mean, this man we're in Texas stop, actually knifed we're another- much We're much earlier than that is when we're going to uh, pick up the interview. 
Um, and he gets into one of the current presidential candidates and her hypocrisy. Again, this is a man of the left who is not happy with the way Democrats are handling these situations. Because mm-hmm. he actually believes in some sort of a redemption or the fact that you can... I don't know that you need redemption from... A high, uh, 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 you're a 22-year-old yearbook photo, but... I wonder. I think the energy of the Democratic Party is uh, on the social justice warrior side, and they are puritanical in their desire to take anyone down to prove their own puritanism. It's not about justice. It's about making themselves look holier than thou. So we pick it up with Zaid Jelani, progressive journalist, on with Tucker Carlson. So you actually had an example, I wish I had it in front of me, in the piece of a felon who was going on to run for office after getting out and this was and I'm not arguing against it but approved of by the left as an example of redemption yeah I mean this man in Texas actually knifed another man to death he killed a man and a number of left-wingers said it's great that he's running for office now because he shows that someone can turn their life around redeem themselves and by the way I don't disagree with that but the left at the same time has gone after Northam. It's gone after 15-year-old teenagers on the mall who may have made one or two offensive gestures. They're trying to destroy individuals instead of looking at the structures that are creating much stronger and much more destructive behaviors. One out of three bl- black children in the state of Virginia are living in poverty. Why isn't that the national crisis? Why isn't that a national exactly. emergency? Why is exactly. a photo in a yearbook from 35 years ago the emergency? Exactly. Well, maybe because they don't feel like changing the structures that are destroying children. Honestly, a lot of them don't. Honestly, that's the truth. I've, I've worked in and around the Democratic Party for a long time, and I don't think a lot of them are, convi- are convinced that that's the main priority. So they focus instead, as you point out in the piece, on symbolic crimes rather than actual crimes or crises. Because the reality is, okay, for instance, Kirsten Gillibrand was one of the people who called for Northam to resign. She was a corporate lawyer for Philip Morris for four years when the Clinton administration was suing them, uh, suing Big Tobacco. She helped an industry that killed millions of people, and she's out here saying that what Ralph Northam did was a, was a stupid racist prank when he was like a medical student is inexcusable. And she was someone who didn't just do something symbolically wrong, she defended an industry that was actually killing people. If we actually focus on the substance of policy, these are the people who should be resigning, or at least apologizing and making amends, which is what Ralph Northam is doing now, which is what he should do, but he should not resign, because it would create a terrible norm. We'd be searching the tweets and the Facebook likes of every kid for 20 years, trying to find something racist, trying to ruin their lives, which is not the way forward. He should make amends, he should apologize to African Americans, and then he should pursue policy to improve their lives. That's what he should do. Yeah, the idea that we're going to have a death penalty politically, death penalty politically, if they can find anything in a yearbook or a tweet or anything like that, you can't host the Oscars, you can't be a governor, you can't whatever. Nobody's ever going to get into public life, or nobody mm-hmm. will be able to get into public life. Right. If you've got anything that's sexist, can be construed as sexist, racist, homophobic, anything throughout your life, you're done. Doesn't matter if you've, there's no indication that that's what you actually think right. for the rest of your life, or, or now particularly. Right. Doesn't make any difference. Nope. Nope. You know, it's funny. We got a note from uh, frequent correspondent Joe who who pointed out that... I think this governor of Virginia is a dope. Oh, he's he clearly like a idiot. dope. And, and comfortable with infanticide, too. But that's been totally lost on the mainstream media. But anyway, we got a note from Joe pointing out that blackface is different from wearing black makeup. Uh, you know, the, the old minstrel show Blackface made black people look like clowns. It was mockery. It was cruel. The rest of it. Gene Wilder and Silver Streak wearing black makeup so he wouldn't be arrested because they were looking for a white guy is not blackface. 
Now, that line has been completely blurred, and, and now any sort of makeup like that has been weaponized, including dressing up like Jacko in the 80s, which, again, was everybody in every dance contest in America. But it's been weaponized, and that's the key. And, you know, another alert listener, Michael, sent us this piece, which is too long to read, but it's very, very good. It's It's in the form of a mock conversation, and the point is... It's funny, it's the opposite of the Clinton uh, strategy of deny, deny, deny. It's attack, attack, attack. Call the MAGA hat racist. It's the new Klan hood. Call any support for this or that or Donald Trump or whatever. Call it racist. Just always accuse. You must just continually accuse because they will, they will, they're good people. Good people, having been accused of racism, will immediately be taken off their guard, knocked on their heels. They'll be horrified. They'll be scrambling to prove they're not a racist because it's such a loathsome charge. And and now I love some of this stuff because I think the whole identity politics, social justice warrior thing is incredibly, incredibly unhealthy and dangerous and leads to the horrors of Rwanda and and communist China and Cambodia and, and a, dozen, a dozen other examples. But even as it's horrible, it amuses the hell out of me. And I'm looking at this piece in the New York Times. 2020 Democrats agree they're very, very sorry. Democrat Party's uh, presidential hopefuls differ on their approach to policy issues, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing is almost uniform in agreement. They're all very, very sorry. The most recent high-profile mea culpa came Thursday when Senator Elizabeth Warren apologized for a controversial DNA test to prove her Native American ancestry. Former Vice President Joe Biden lamented his role in crafting the tough-on-crime legislation in the 80s and 90s. Kamala Harris regretted the position she took while a prosecutor. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York said her past hardline stance on immigration certainly weren't empathetic and they were not kind. Bernie Sanders is apologizing after reports of gender discrimination. My point is the, the idea that everybody needs to cast stones no matter their past, you know, the contrast with the, the New Testament. Everybody is casting so many stones in an effort to appear to be the most ideologically pure. They can't find anybody who can run for office because you've got to be so ideologically pure, including 30 years ago. Just ask Ralph Northam, who is admittedly a dope. He is a dope. But if uh, if ill-advised jokes in your early 20s are disqualifying, you're not going to have very many candidates. Right. Exactly. And... You know, the other thing that is pointed out by uh, Herndon and Ember, who wrote this piece for the New York Times, shockingly enough, political strategists and crisis communications experts said the sensitivity speaks to how quickly the center of gravity has shifted for Democrats on key issues. As recently as 06, national Democrats, including Barack Obama, expressed wariness about immigrants' ability to assimilate into American culture and did not openly embrace gay marriage. Two talking points that would deeply damage their uh, attempts to to win in 2020. Oh, you couldn't be the nominee with oh, no, those you, stances. You're out. You are out. Barack Obama couldn't possibly run. Think about that, you lunatics. That's a, that's a pretty quick change. Yeah. yeah, our text line is 415-295-KFTC. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
You know, it's one of the top-selling books of all time that I don't think anybody's read. I'll pay off that tease in a few seconds. Mm. Perhaps you've heard that federal prosecutors are subpoenaing documents from the Trump inauguration committee, making sure that uh, they didn't promise anybody front seats in exchange for legislation or something like that. Yet another investigation going on. That'll be fun to follow. Mm. People contribute to the inaugural uh, festivities expect something, don't they? Uh, and yes, always have. obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Well, if they're dumb enough to offer a quid pro quo in writing or something, I suppose they'll be in trouble, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I just Yet another investigation. Okay. That's fine. Well, I heard NPR, they didn't even go so far to claim that. They said there, there's a lot of paperwork involved, and we're not sure they did, all the, so it would be a paperwork violation. Ah. Uh. And which is what uh, happened with Obama and why he got fined four hundred thousand dollars because there's a whole bunch of paperwork involved in something that's stupid, right? Right. Big deal. Well, we'll deal. Say, you know, I don't want malfeasance and bribery going on. No, but I don't either. But if, if you've ever seen all the lobbying shops on K Street, you know there's plenty of lo- lo- bribing going on. I guess they just got to run a speed trap now and again so it doesn't get too egregious. Trump and Schumer are twitting, tweeting at each other, and uh, Marshall will have that in his news coming up. Oh, I'm sorry. Breaking news. Breaking news. Uh, it's not donkey worthy, though, Michael. A lock of George Washington's hair has been sold for over $35,000. From his head? Oh, you're an idiot. The back, lock of the first. Hair. Back hair? Leg hair? Be quiet. The lock of the first U.S. president's hair sold in the. Uh, uh, who cares? Uh, was from the family of Alexander Hamilton, Hamilton, who had the lock of hair affixed to an autograph uh, signed by James A. Hamilton for about a century. I have his hair. I found it there. It was in the chair. <laughs> why is there... That's Washington- my Alexander Hamilton rap about George Washington's hair. Why? Oh. Off the top. <laughs> oh. Why is G-Dub's hair affixed to an autograph of uh, Alex Hamilton? I don't know. Was that the original leather letter of authenticity? You oh, couldn't have like a certified, this is one of 500 lithographs or whatever. <laughs> right. You actually just had to clip that, off some of the dude's hair. That used to be a common thing, though. You'd write Abe Lincoln a hair and say, hey, I really love what you're doing in the country. Uh, do me a favor. Send me a lock of your hair. And he'd snip off a little bit. All right. Hey, yeah, beautiful hair. But he would lose there's respect a, for you all. a historian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another simpleton asking me for some of my hair. <laughs> Jeez, I'm going to be bald soon. All right, just take a little bit. Why do you think I wear this hat? So I read, uh, I've tried to read this book many times in my life, A Little of A Brief History of Time by Stephen oh, Hawking. Stephen Hawking's book, yeah. The I've late Stephen it. Hawking. It's. I didn't realize this. It's mentioned in his foreword or introduction to the most recent edition that it's one of the best-selling books in the history of books. One out of every 780 people on Earth have a copy. If you broke it down, I mean, it's just it's insane. I'm wondering how many people actually read it or read past the second uh, chapter. Well, good for you if you've made it past the second chapter. I've never made it past the first chapter. I've never even attempted it. Um, It's it's just I I would like to understand stuff like that. I just my my head gets twisted up really fast. Then I lose track of what's going on. You know, it's funny. (laughs) I'm a reasonably like being drunk. I'm a reasonably, yeah, it is like that, reasonably bright guy. Some of you might disagree, and that's fine. But I've discovered I cannot dance, no matter how hard I try, and I cannot comprehend your uh, your theoretical physics stuff. Listen, wormhole. Just, uh, you, yeah, seriously, you might as well uh, sing opera to a hog. You're just wasting your time. Your wormholes, your quirks. But here's what got me interested in this. So the latest edition he says uh, there's an, uh, this was written a couple of years ago because he died 
recently. Right. But um, he said there's a new chapter in this edition in which I talk about time travel, which I believe oh. is possible. Oh, which I believe is possible, says oh. Stephen Hawking. And he says, of course, the age old question about time travel is if it's possible, how come we haven't met anybody from the future? Mm. Which is the age old question about time travel. He said, I address that in the chapter. Oh, oh I know why that so is. So I'd actually have to buy the book to read it. I, I, I totally know why that is. Okay. You got to sign a form. <laughs> Says you're not going to tell anybody you're from the future. You got to wear old timey clothes. You're not allowed to say anything. You're from the they future. They got big giant closets of our clothes. And if you break the rules, we leave you back there. Right. And you don't get to come back to present you time. You think that Super Bowl's halftime show sucked? You should teach you 2040. <laughs> yeah, if you say that to somebody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're in trouble. An 87-year-old Adam Levine doffs his <laughs> shirt and sings to the crowd. Uh, right. But so I, I don't buy that many books. Mm. I download the first chapter because you can do that for free, which is awesome. I've read the first chapter of many, many books. But... <laughs> so now, wait a second. But, okay, I wonder I, what I the explanation is. I don't know if I want to spend 20 is. bucks to find that out. But I'm kind of interested in why Stephen Hawking says time travel is possible. Yeah. And there's a reason why we've not met somebody from the future. I, I understand why, well, I'd understand why you would not willingly tell anybody because you would, uh, practically universally, you'd want to get back to your time because that's your time. And you'd want to lay low because if indeed you were from the future and we discovered it, we'd hold on to you for plenty long, uh, plenty long time to figure out the technology and the rest of it. Mm. Not to mention, you know, various sporting wagers you could make. So you'd want to keep your mouth shut, but you would probably speak a dialect that might not be recognized, so you couldn't lay low even if you wanted. Depends on how long in the future. More on that coming up. How long? I think some people are ahead of us. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Trump Schumer getting into it pre-so-to at a woman accusing the Virginia lieutenant governor of sexual abuse of lawyering up. Go oh, get boy. into those. It's getting better. Stay tuned. All on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. quick things one on the whole time travel thing that stephen hawking says is possible we got this text if you could go back just once where and when would you go i always say this last tuesday my wife made a fantastic meal wow that's that'd be my time travel wow seconds but it's firsts and nicole my, of course my friend who has invented the time machine but it only goes forward at regular speed <laughs> so you crawl inside of it an hour you come out wow it's an hour later mind-blowing um this is breaking news mexico deploying Militarized police to block 2,000 migrants yep. from entering Texas. Because of racism. That? Yep. Because they're racist against Hispanics. Right. Let's yep. get the news that's down. That's the only possible reason xenophobia for border security. I'll New- touch. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll touch on that one first. They got a caravan, as you were mentioning, of about 2,000 Central American migrants. They have arrived at a Mexican border city just west of Eagle Pass, Texas. I know where that is. The migrants arrived late Sunday aboard 49 buses. Wow. Previous Who caravan- paid for that? Yeah, that's the question. Previous caravans of mainly Honduran migrants have headed for the border city of Tijuana. They did that last year, but now Tijuana is saying their city's overwhelmed. They are unprepared to receive more migrants, so they do because not... Because of their racism, go on. Because they do not want any more caravans. And a second larger caravan... Don't several- they know that migrants actually enhance the economy? And mean more money for everyone and bring in more taxes than they receive in benefits. Doesn't Tijuana know that? 
And they a, must be racist. And a second larger caravan of several thousand more migrants is expected to set out across Mexico shortly. Oh, boy. So it looks like you've got two very, very large caravans set to arrive at the border and coming in buses. That's that's a new development. President Trump lashing out at the Senate's top Democrat ahead of the State of the Union address. There you nope. go. Way to set the table. White House says that the, the, the speech is going to focus on unity, but Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer seems to have triggered the Trump complaint by saying on the Senate floor this morning... It seems every year the president wakes up and discovers the desire for unity on the morning of the State of the Union. Then the president spends the other 364 days of the year dividing us. Minutes later... That's some good sarcasm. I'll grant him that. Minutes later, Trump lashed out on Twitter. I see Schumer's already criticizing my State of the Union speech, even though he hasn't seen it yet. He's just upset that he didn't win the Senate after spending a fortune like he thought he would. Too bad we weren't given more credit for the Senate win by the media. End of tweet. Eh, it wasn't that good a shot. I was hoping for better. Well, but it's already going back and forth and back and forth. So apparently Stephen Hawking says, from people who have read the book, yes, that you would need a time machine to exist on both ends of the trip. So we haven't advanced far enough into the future to where we'd have a time machine on this end. And then it could travel back and forth between the future and that machine. So the time machine isn't like a car. It's like a transporter from Star Trek. Well, wait a minute. It's got to do with wormholes. Be able to beam you back. I'm pretty sure it has to do with wormholes. Nice job, wormhole. (laughs) Um, uh, okay. All right. Well, there's where you are. So, doesn't involve a DeLorean? I don't think so. So, but it's literally a machine. It's like a toaster oven. You have to have one at each end. How do you make toast? And the future people (laughs) don't get hung up. Somebody's stoned. Um, The future people haven't figured out how to make a transportable one yet. But what about the way, 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 way in the future, people? I don't know. What do, I don't know. Have you ever seen Back to the Future? Mm-hmm. Is that possible to time track travel speed? No. Yes, it is, Kenny. Okay, but not that we know. <laughs> Maybe I think people can do that. I think some people are ahead of us. That's Britney Spears High saying, do you believe in time travel speed? <laughs> <laughs> and her bow at the time, Kevin Federline, exposing right. himself as the smart one in that duo. <laughs> I think some people are ahead of us. I think some people are ahead of us. I think most people are ahead of you, dear. Kevin? <laughs> the woman accusing Virginia's lieutenant governor of sexual assault is hiring Christine Blasse Ford's legal team. Oh, boy. That doesn't help your case. I don't think. A unidentified woman's accusing Justin Fairfax of assault during the Democratic National Convention in Boston in 2004. Do you think that helps her? In the eyes of the public? That's what, oh, in the eyes of the public, I don't know. That's what that legal team does. That's what they're good at. Um, I don't know. That's it's an a interesting question. Thing, it, depends, it depends entirely who you ask. It's a political question if you're trying to keep the guy from being governor. I tell you what, if I'm the third in line to the throne in Virginia, I'm frantically going through my past <laughs> thinking, all right, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Because it's about to come to you, uh, what sir about that, or madam. What about that one-night stand I had in a clan outfit? That's not going to pass. <laughs> I knew that was a mistake. Actor Liam Neeson's trying to clarify himself after admitting he once planned to carry out an attack after one of his family members was raped by a black man. He revealed in an interview with The Independent that after she was attacked, he walked the streets armed with a baton. I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black 
bastard would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know, so that I could kill him. Today, he told Good Morning America he's not a racist, but after the attack on his relative, he watched how she handled it. And she handled the situation herself and her rapist incredibly bravely, I have to say that. But I had never felt this feeling before, which was a primal urge to lash out. He had a murderous rage that lasted a week and a half. A week. If, if he a, keeps stretching it. He said a week to a week and a half. Did he? Yeah. He says that in his own words. Right. Um, I'm not sure it makes much difference, but seven or ten days. Well, but, you're trying to impugn the great Liam Neeson's. Uh, Impuner? I've never had a murderous rage. Um, certainly not for a week and a half. That's a long time to sustain it. So as a good actor, I suppose he is able to tap into that to be as convincing as he is. Probably. In those movies where he portrays right. a guy with a murderous rage. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably one of the reasons it's so compelling. Yeah. And I think that was one of the questions that in during the uh, newspaper interview that he gave with uh, the uh, paper over in the UK. They said, how do you tap into the rage of some of these characters? And that's when he brought up the story, yeah. is my understanding of it. Wow. That's a lot of rage. There you go. That's the- a heck of a secret to let out in, a, in an entertainment interview. Yeah. From 40 years back. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. It was that long ago? I hadn't caught that. Yeah. Incident was nearly 40 years ago. How old would he have been at the time? I don't know how old he is. He's He's in his 60s now. He's 66, I think. So he was a 20-something? Yeah. Interesting. Big old 20-something. Angry. Big old tough Irishman. Angry about his loved one being hurt. The Independent UK read their piece about it, and they quoted some absolutely insufferable academic woman talking about men are conditioned to think that they should be a protector and they should be in control. And it was the loss of control that motivated him to regain control by hurting someone. I'm like, no, if somebody does something terrible to somebody you love and there's no negative consequence, it will keep happening. In human society, and that's pretty much as far as you need to think about it. He was walking out into the five points to get in a knife fight with Daniel Day-Lewis and John C. Riley. That's what was happening. <laughs> His big old club. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Footlong. No, no, that's the theme for Subway. What's the theme for the State of the Union address? Choosing greatness. Choosing greatness. I've embraced that. that. So far this this uh, today, so far, I've chosen greatness at every turn. I'm uh, not a fan of the State of the Union address. I don't think they have any impact on uh, on anything. Uh, they're just a waste of time. They're they're a, a manufactured media event. Well, like but, so many things, they've just gotten inflated and inflated and inflated until it's. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 it's taken way too seriously. Well, and you want to know what the president thinks about something? Ask him two days ago or ask him tomorrow. He'll be on TV again. Right. Um, but I, there is this wild card, as a lot of people are throwing out the idea that things are getting wilder and wilder and meaner and meaner, and 
And people can't even hang out together in restaurants and all that sort of stuff. So I'm asking you, Michael, will there be an out, an extraordinary interruption tonight in the State of the Union address? Something out of the norm? I think so. You're a yes. Yes. Sean, yes or no? No, I don't think during the address it happens. You don't think so? No. Yes or no, Joe? There will be ugliness. You think there will be ugliness during the State of the Union address? Yes, I do Something outside of the norm? Uh, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that's the mood. There's too much self-justification. There's too little feeling that I would like to, but it would be wrong. It would be disruptive. It would grab the spotlight when the spotlight's not mine. That sort of attitude is vanishing in society. I, mean, I, I hope uh, I hope Sean's right, but I'm sure Sean would agree that you wouldn't be surprised if that happened. <laughs> I mean, in our current culture, right. it's not going to be shocking in any way. Yeah. You know, as I, several of my kids while in high school were in the drama program, several of them. I don't have that many children. All three of them, come to think of it. Um, and I was really shocked and angered for a while till I just learned to live with it. The, the kids in the audience, the high school kids in the audience, were much more disruptive than anything I ever saw or dreamed of. Back in the day when I was in high school. Really? Like whooping and calling out names and drawing attention to themselves in the audience. And it seemed obvious to me it was the look at me, look at me culture. You know, they were like making a Facebook post in effect. Like, not like kids use Facebook much these days, but um, they were drawing to attention to them, drawing attention to themselves when they hadn't earned it. The kids on stage who had worked so hard, it was their time. But the kids in the audience said, no, no, no. Hey, hey, yeah. No, now it's my time because I disrupted. And I'm telling you, ideas of decorum and self-discipline and all are woo, out the window. So there will be ugliness. There will be blood. That would have been completely unheard of when I was in high school. I was I was so angry I couldn't enjoy several shows for a while. Wow, and the, the teachers don't stop it or you just can't? Well, they don't. I don't know that, if they could. You know, that's a good question. I got some texts from a friend whose wife is a teacher, and I've been meaning to share them. She goes to a little a bit of an unruly school and dealing with the parents and the administration, the administration's Lack of willingness to back up the teachers right. in, in trying to stand up to the parents. They don't want the headache. Who don't allow any discipline whatsoever of their out-of-control kids. Right. So you have a chance of teaching the kids. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the real victim in those is the you know the quiet kid that's sitting over there just would kind of like to learn. Really, any kid who wants to learn. Well, and oh. honestly, the disruptive kids are victims, oh, too. sure. Yeah, exactly. doesn't Bad do any parenting. Good. Yeah. Doesn't I do didn't raise good. myself. Good parents did. So it's sad, but uh, we have a complete unwillingness. You know, it reminds me of the gent who was talking to Tucker Carlson, who we played uh, earlier, talking about politicians want to grandstand about the big headline symbolic ideas, not confront the really difficult truths of, for instance, what uh, assails black America to a large extent. Not like all black people are the same, but, you know, there, there are a lot of serious problems in black communities that, Nobody wants to talk seriously about because they're so difficult. So they go with the symbolic stuff again. Likewise, schools. I tell you what, you have a school full of kids whose parents value education. You have a quote unquote good school with high test scores. You have a school full of kids whose parents don't value education or or aren't together. They don't know who their parents are or whatever. You have a quote unquote bad school. No matter how you lash the teachers or incentivize them or whatever. It's just the reality nobody wants to talk about. But. Or Horrocks, how expensive your overhead projector is or any of that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's, it's tough. 
So nobody wants to deal with it. So, Sean is the outlier and thinks it's going to be decorum tonight. We'll win the day. I hope you're right. I don't think it's because decorum wins the day. I think they realize that it's... They, oh, I'm sorry. There's a, there's a comic book villain called Sebastian Shaw. And essentially his thing is the more you punch him, the stronger he gets. And I think people are more and more realizing that's who Donald Trump is. And the more you make these public outcries against him doesn't help your cause. You can push back against him, but doing so when he's got the stage or in these moments, I don't. I think they're, well, they're realizing it's not it's not helping as much as they think it. As does. a strategy, I think it'd be terrible. Yeah. Why, why would you want to fight on his turf, on his home field? His home field is ad libbing, standing up there with the microphone. Oh yeah, you ought to be in jail, and the crowd goes wild. No, no, no! <laughs> Decorum, my friends. I would think if I'm if I'm an anti-Trumper, I want to make him stand out as the as the anomaly. We're all grown up, deal with things quietly, calmly. People. Here's an alternate theory for you. I'm going to get a little out of line, counting on him to get way out of line and go too far. Right, and he looks like the bad guy. And and plus, you know, it's a risky it's all, game because he's pretty good at it. And listen, just speaking of things, Trump's good at it. It's all about energizing the base these days, getting the donations to come in, getting that thirty percent that you can always count on to always show up. It's true on the left. And I get, I keep coming back to my my idea that it only takes one person who's thought it through and thought I'm a household name by the end of the night. Right. I've raised three million dollars for my reelection campaign. In the blink of an eye. I'm on the cover of some magazine. Every talk show on MSNBC and CNN has me on tomorrow. And Fox is talking about and you. And Fox is talking about me. Right. If I yell something out at the president. On the other hand, it's rude. Let me think. What shall I do? <laughs> Grow up. That's what I'm saying. Grow up. Live in reality. Wake up and smell the fundraising. Boy, the way I just laid it out, I'm not sure I could restrain myself. Well, I remember what an eye-opener it was when Joe Wilson famously shouted, You lie! At Barack Obama, who, (laughs) you may remember this, what Obama claimed is that illegals would never get government-paid-for health care. And Joe Wilson said, You lie! You know why? Because he lied. Anyway, everybody, and I mean everybody, condemned old Joe for that. And then he raised more money than he'd ever dreamed of raising. Sure. In the next 24 hours. Yeah, I think I know what a person ought to say, but I'll save that for this. Final thoughts with A-N-G. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! I love that one. It's my favorite. <laughs> so it is your host, Joe Getty. So many people who think, oh, we're not done yet, are we? It's time for final thoughts. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the show. Positive Sean, final thought? Yes, my eyes are squarely on the financials this afternoon as the number one holding in the PSP. That's the Positive Sean portfolio, the Disney company, making their earnings call tonight. I'm going to be listening in. I don't know what I'm listening for, but I hear people <laughs> say that they listen to earnings calls sure, all the time. there you go. Uh, Marshall Phillips, your final thought? Yeah, gearing up for another so-to party at the Phillips household. I'll be breaking out, oh, I don't know, the hash browns and wine or some combination thereof. (laughs) Do you mean hash browns or hash brownies? Hash browns. All right. That sounds good. The delicious fried potato dish. Michelangelo, your final thought? Uh, Yeah, tonight uh, Trump will hold up Chris Christie's book and say, this book sucks. And then he will hold up Art of the Deal and say, this book is great. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Jack, do you have a final thought? We didn't even mention how Chris Christie canceled on us today. We were right. supposed to have him. I think somebody stands up. You want to you be able to maintain high ground, at least for your side of politics. You stand up while he's speaking, and you say, You're ruining America. You should be impeached. 
I think you have the high ground with about half the country. Certainly with 30% of the country, they're sending you money. And you're, and you're a hero. You know who somebody should have invited to this thing? You egotistical billionaire a- <laughs> Oh, no. That's the guy you send up to do your carry your water for you. Yeah. Well. Now, if once we start doing that, it's all over. Uh, right. And it's going to be all over. And yeah. we'll decide the State of the Union could be a letter or a speech from the Oval Office or a pantomime or... <laughs> Uh, what do you call it with the big masks in Japan? <laughs> Kabuki. Kabuki, Kabuki yeah. theater or, or whatever, and, and that'll be fine. The Constitution just says, from time to time, the president ought to tell Congress what the State of the Union is. He can literally walk up the steps and say, we're fine, and then walk back to the White House. It's really cold, the Midwest! <laughs> Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank. So little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. Did you know you can email us, and we will actually read them. I promise. There's something we ought to be talking about. Send it along. You have a thought you want to share. You watch the so too. You want to give your review. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Did Marshall get to do his final thought? He did. Yes. Must have missed it. Oh, right. <laughs> See you tomorrow. God bless America. This is a historic act uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over. The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here. Get. Get. And we apologize for our stupidity. And we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. And the show's over. What? Bye-bye. Whom you could recommend for appointment as my clerk. Armstrong and Getty. <laughs>